Amen. Thank you so much for your giving. We want to honor dads today. And uh, I know this day is challenging for a number of people, for those that are maybe, maybe they have experienced loss, challenge, um, uh, moments with uh, dads that have not always been pleasant. And at the same time, uh, many people have had some amazing experiences. And so in a few minutes, we're going to pray over everybody, pray over you dads. And on your way out for all the guys in the church, we, are gonna, we have uh, not just dads root beer. We have numbers of varieties of dads products in terms of, I think we have got cream soda, root beer, something blue. Um, so it's... <laughs> It's Romulan Ale for you Trekkies. Just kidding. <laughs> it would have killed at a Trekkie convention right there. Um, but that's actually in a refrigerator chilling so that you, you, when you walk out of here, uh, you can have ice cold um, pop. In Michigan, we call it pop. The lady that sold it to me, she called it soda. And so we're not, no longer purchasing from her any longer. <laughs> and you got to say it pop, all right? It's just... It's who, it's who we are. But we just want to welcome you. We're going to wrap up our, our shift series this week. If you have your Bibles, go to Acts chapter 11. Acts 11. If you don't, if you've got a, maybe a Bible for the first time, maybe you're, you are a newer Christian, you don't know where to start, I would highly recommend go to the book of Acts. I love the book of John. I always say that's a great place to start. But if you ever want to know what church is supposed to be like, go to the book of Acts. Love the book of Acts. Um, not an Acts body spray, Acts of the Apostle. Another dad joke. Oh, I should have done dad jokes today. Of course, that's like all of my jokes, so it really doesn't matter. Acts chapter 11. Um, and I got my whiteboard. I took part of my whiteboard down out of my office to do a little bit of drawing today. It's not to put like names up there for people talking during church. Y'all grow up with your teacher. If you talk during class, they put your name up and they put check marks after. I used to do that to my staff. During, no joke, during staff meeting, I put their names up there. I remember the day Pastor Abby's name went up there. She was in shock, and so because she was in shock, I gave her a chat mark, and everybody celebrated. Oh, my word. Is anybody in the house, you know how to run? There should be way more hands up. Some of you guys are the most stubborn people in the world. I will never raise my hand whenever the pastor asks the questions. How many of you know how to run? You just know how to, like, how it works. Okay, you put your hands down. Man, it's not that hard. Okay, I've asked how many people know how to run? How many people consider themselves a runner? <laughs> There's a couple of us. We need our own small group. We are a minority in this group here. All right, uh, Christian, there's a difference, isn't there? Because if you are a runner, that means you must run. <laughs> it's that easy. If you're a runner, you, you, you purposely go running. Uh, I, I was a, I can't say I was a runner growing up. Uh, yeah, I was kind of a runner growing up. I ran from the cops once. So maybe that counts um, or a couple times, but... When I think about being a runner, I think about someone that purposefully runs. It's when, I, when my coach watched me sprint. I got a, we got a new track coach, and he watched me sprint. He's like, oh, oh, no, you're a distance runner. And I fell in love with distance running, and I was a runner. And then uh, my first year of, of ministry, it was a stressful year. I came down with mono. What a great way to start ministry. And some of you are like, that's the kissing disease. No, it's not, because my fiance did not get it. So hmm. um, don't think that. 
But it devastated my endurance and I didn't start running until we came to Kalamazoo and my wife did the, the couch, the 5K thing and she started challenging me to run. So I decided to start running and then became runner. Um, so you, everybody knows how to run or how it works and it doesn't necessarily make you a runner. It takes, it takes a paradigm shift. Or how about this? How many people in the house know how to write? Oh, look at this, you guys are getting better. How many are actual writers? I am shocked, this is awesome. Fancy, I got them upstairs, downstairs. Um, down, upstairs, downstairs, this is not the living room. Um, but some of you guys have written uh, articles, uh, books, things, that's phenomenal. Um, because if you are a writer, you gotta do more than write, you get into the action and the purposeful, uh, the purpose kind of driven focus of writing. When you become something, it changes the paradigm or the mode of your life. It's, it's like anything, some people say, I could ask the same question, how many people here can, like you actually cook things, how many, how many of you purposely cook? I mean, yeah, hands are now going up on that one, y'all are bragging on that one, of course I can cook. Um, and someone's like, honey, put your hand down, you can't, don't do that. <laughs> All right, no joke, my best friend at Bible college, he got married and his wife, God bless her, I love her so much, but um, she could not cook. We, we, my friend brought me a biscuit from her house and he was throwing it up against the wall and I'm like, is that an old biscuit? She goes, no, she made it fresh for dinner. <laughs> we, we, we took a, a golf club to it and it didn't break, no joke. Oh, that was a rough day, rough dinner. Um, when we get into the action of becoming, it changes things. Because when you're ready to become something, you begin to reorient your life around it. That thing begins to get ingrained in your life. Because when you go from running to being a runner, or from writing to being a writer, from knowing how to cook to wanting to be a cook or to be the cook or whatever the situation is, that thing takes over your life and it now becomes part of your life. When I look at the book of Acts, there is something that, I mean, marks the book, the, the chapter, excuse me, the, the church itself that you find in the chapter, in the book. There's something about this church that just was the most generous entity that you've ever known. This church bled generosity. If you want a great definition of generosity, I simply wrote this down, to give more than that's required to give more than required, to give more than expectation. Whatever somebody expected, you gave a bit more. And so I wanna talk about generosity, but I need to make something clear this morning. I'm not preaching a message on giving. I'm not preaching a message on giving today. I, I really don't like preaching messages on giving per se, because let me just say this, we all know how to give. All of us do. But there's a difference between knowing how to give and being a generous person. And the difference is your life changes because once you become a generous person, all of a sudden the paradigm, the mode, everything about your life is ingrained with the idea of generosity. So I don't wanna preach on giving, we all know how to give. We all know when it comes to Christmas or birthdays or whatever, we know that we ought to give and we have the capacity to give. But even though we all possess the capacity to give, not every one of us surrounds our 
life or ingrains within our life the heart that is the heart of Jesus and it's the heart of generosity. Because to know how to give and to be a generous person, it is not the same thing. I repeat, it is not the same thing. In fact, I wrote this down. Generosity isn't tied to an amount or a percentage, it's a heart posture. You see, I, I grew up hearing about tithing. You know, like, Pastor Dave, do you tithe? Of course I tithe. I believe in tithing. I love tithing. I encourage anybody to tithe. I, I, I give above the tithe. I love that because that's not just something that I felt like doing. It's something, I'll give honors. I'll, I'll give honor to God and to my father because he's the one that taught me how to be generous. I still remember the day when I said, Dad, why are we living in this single wide trailer? Why is it that we live in this, in this thing when we could be living on the other side, we had a, this wall in between us and the nice houses. Like, couldn't we live in a house? And I remember he looked at me and said, we could, but then we would have less to give away. My dad was generous to a fault. But I learned, I learned how to tithe from my first job. I remember at working at the Dollar Tree making, I think it was $3.25, $3.15 an hour. Praise God for that job back in the day. But I remember my first, my first uh, paycheck coming in and tithing. I believe in tithing. I believe in honoring God with that first 10% because I learned if I can lead with generosity, it puts everything else in perspective. I believe in it. I want you to be a tither. But I, I wonder if we have damaged the art of generosity in the church because we've made generosity about a percentage or an amount rather than getting our heart straight. Because I have met consistent, faithful tithers who are the worst misers. I've met people who gave their percentage on Sundays at the church, but they wouldn't give anything out. They wouldn't serve. They wouldn't volunteer. They wouldn't give of their lives. I wrote the check, Pastor Dave, you can't ask me to do anything more. Or I don't need to do anything more, Pastor Dave. I put my check in. Or Pastor Dave, if you don't do this thing right, if you don't preach this right, if you don't say this on a Sunday, maybe I'll take my check elsewhere. And for which I smile and I'm like, oh, we need to have a little bit of a conversation because this is just not about the kingdom. The kingdom isn't about percentages. God's not after your 10%. He's after your hearts. God's not after your, your riches. He's after your hearts. He's not after your home or after your cars. He's after your hearts. Oh, Pastor Dave, I don't like this message. Then go to another church, but make sure when you get there, be generous. <laughs> be generous. It's all about the heart. God is after your heart. And that's what brings me to the book of Acts. They have the heart of God. Acts chapter 11, this is so good. I love this portion. It says in verse 27, now in these days prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch and one of them named Agabus. If you're pregnant and you need a name of a child, there you go. <laughs> Stood up. And, uh, and foretold, prophesied by the Spirit that there would be a great famine happening all over the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. In fact, if you need a date, if you're one of those date people, it was in the year 41 AD where that happened. Verse 29, so the disciples determined, everyone according to his ability, 
to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so sending it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. There's some very, very important information that's given here. Now, first of all, the context is the early church has been born. Acts chapter one, Jesus speaks to the disciples and said, just tarry here, wait in Jerusalem because I'm gonna send the spirit of God upon you and you're gonna be filled with the spirit and you're gonna reach the world. Acts chapter two, the spirit of God comes down, just absolutely baptizes, annihilates, Violates this church and their lives are transformed. And the loud mouth that couldn't keep his mouth shut uh, when it came to his reactions and his feelings is the same one that stood up on that day. His name was Simon Peter and he preaches. And thousands of people come to know Christ. Not only do thousands come to know Christ, thousands are baptized. Guess what we're doing next week? If you haven't been baptized, you need to get baptized next week. Get on your, I don't have my phone with me. Get on your YouVersion app. You have the link right there. Sign up and get baptized next week. Profess Christ publicly. We're not gonna hold you down for that long. We're just gonna put you down and we bring you back up. That sounded weird saying we're not gonna hold you down for that long. Um, take you down, bring you back up. I'm telling you what, God will bless your life. Not because of the water, it's because of your obedience. All right, I'm getting caught up. Acts chapter three um, and four, five, six, seven. You begin to see the church begins to explode and begin to spread all throughout Jerusalem. And most of the generosity was targeted toward Jerusalem. And it says this, it says in verse 27 that they came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they went to Antioch and they're talking and they're praying. And there's a prophecy that is given about a famine that was going to hit the land. And the famine was gonna hit specifically Judea. Judea was 300 miles away, or in their terms, two weeks, two to three weeks journey. So they heard about something that was going to be hitting the land, and they had to do something about it. Again, this sounds so, this may sound elementary. I think it's actually way deeper than that. You're like, well, there was a need and they gave. No, 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 no. There was a need that had yet to happen. For people they had never met and perhaps would never meet, and they chose to simply dig down deep and respond with who they were because they knew somebody was going to be in need. They didn't, often in the American church, we wait till a need comes up. The early church decided to give out of who they were because that's what they were, generous. They were already ready to give. They hear about something that could take place. We hear about something that's going to take place. God is moving, God is speaking, so we're going to be givers. We're going to be generous. That's why I titled the message, Already Ready. If there's anything we, the church, ought to be, we we ought to be already ready to give. Already ready to be generous. That when people are in need, that we aren't looking for someone else to meet the need, we're looking for opportunities to help meet that need. I'm thankful for people in my life that when I've been in need and I've told somebody, they look to me and said, listen, I don't know if I can meet that need, but I bet you I know somebody that can meet that need. What are those people? Those people are generous. People saturated in generosity. This was the early church. This is what generous people do. They don't just pray about needs. God help the church. We want to be prayer warriors and I want to challenge you to be prayer warriors, but I want to be a church that not just first responds with prayer, but we follow up with action. Why? Because we're called to be a generous people. 
That's what generous people do. We are already ready to give. Why? Because a generous people, a generous church sees life and they see the world different. We just see life differently. We see life with our limited means and they, we believe they have amazing benefits. In fact, we wrote it this way. Generosity creates unlimited return from limited resource. Generosity creates unlimited return from a limited resource. Maybe we should change out the word unlimited. Maybe this might help some of y'all in the house today. The word should be maybe eternal. Generosity creates eternal return from limited resources. If you've ever invested, you'll, you'll see a term or an acronym, it's ROI. What is that? It's return on investment. Listen, some of, some of you here today, you're thinking, well, if I pay the tithe here, what am I going to get from the church? You've missed the heart, that's not generosity. When you tithe here, do you not wanna know what the dividends are? Dividends are gonna be souls. Dividends are going to be lives. Dividends are going to be missionaries, going to places that you and I may never darken or never go. It's going to be the places like being in Antioch and knowing that Judea may suffer. Judea needs to be reached. So what do we do? We give and we fill the storehouse so that when need rises up, the storehouse can provide. It's the way that it's the way it works. I mean, this is what's been cool. I think over the past 12 years of being your pastor, it's one of the greatest privileges that when I get a call from Convoy of Hope or when Kyle gets a contact from Convoy of Hope because there's been an earthquake, there's been a hurricane, some sort of natural disaster and says, can K-First do something? Can they take an offering for us? You know what we get to say? We don't have to take an offering for you. We've been taking offering so now that we can bless you because you're Judea, we're Antioch and we need to be that which the church was, generous people. And verse 11, this is what's cool. Verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse number 29. So the disciples determined everyone according to what? His ability. All right, today. His or her ability. (laughs) It's generic in the Greek. You don't have to give according to somebody else's ability. You can't. Do you know why? You're not them. But just blew your mind. You know what? Other people can't give what you have. You know why? They're not you. I need to free somebody in the house today that you have given every excuse to God because you can't give according to somebody else's ability. God has never asked you for that and he will never ask you for that. He will give you according to your ability that he has provided for you. That should set somebody at liberty today. Don't stop giving excuses why you can't be generous. Look at what God has done in your life and know that you can be generous because you don't have to give. It's not about amounts. It's not about percentages. It's about your heart. Man, in God's economy, and it's only in God's economy, can you get unlimited, eternal dividends from your limited resources? But for that to happen in the church today, it takes a perspective. Here's the title of the series, Shift. Because many times in this culture, we look at resources the wrong way. And we see resources not the way that God sees them. If you've ever been through counseling with me, you know I love my whiteboard, so I'm gonna draw a greater than sign. There's my greater than sign. I love poking and prodding people on Facebook with my greater than posts. 
For example, I, I'll post something like, pie is greater than cake, and all of a sudden all the haters come out of the woodwork. <laughs> or two twins coffee is greater than Starbucks. Thank you, <laughs> revival. Or because my doctor took me off coffee, I have to put decaf as greater than regular coffee because that's the life sentence I've been given. Pray for healing in my life. But in this world, in this world, I'm gonna back this up a little bit. In this world, this is what we learn. More is greater than enough. More is great. We serve the God of more instead of the God of enough. And we get into this mode where we have to have more because then that will feel enough. But I have never met a person that was driven by more that ever said they had enough. And I asked them the same question. Well, how much is enough? I'm not sure, but I need more. Now, I'm not against advancing your salary or your, your place in your company. I'm not against that. Uh, believe me, I left the Dollar Tree and I went and worked for my grandfather, Charlie's Lawn Service. Why? Because he gave me $5 an hour. Yes. And after that, I went to work for Mr. Muffler where I was the oil change guy and the custodian. So I changed oil and I cleaned up after everybody. So the idea of advancing yourself, to me, there's a difference when you advance yourself from a place of enough than from a place of more. Because when you live in this place, it doesn't matter what you get, it will never be enough. But when you live in the enoughness of what God is doing and what God has done, then God can lead you to more. But this is about a heart situation for which we look at our lives and we ask, what has God given us? What is God doing in us? And what am I living? Well, pastor, I would be more generous if I had more. If God would help me with my scratchers and I would win really big, then maybe I will be more generous. But I, I read this study from the Atlantic Journal and it said this. They studied the top 20% wage earners in America versus the bottom 20 wage earners. And the average giver, see the average giving from the top 20% of wage earners in America, they gave 1.3% of their wealth away. Those living in the bottom 20%, they gave 3.2% of their wealth away. Well, if I give, if I have more, that means I will give more. Listen, this is, a ba this is about mindset and this is about stewardship. And I wonder this, I wonder if we could begin to look at life differently instead of saying more is enough, I wonder if we could look at it the way God looks at it. If we could just get enough, live from enough, and realize that enough is greater than more. Because I promise you, if we can learn to find our contentment in what God has given us, I promise you, I believe God could give us more. And I'm not here to preach prosperity. I'm not one of those weird prosperity preachers, but I wonder, I wonder, I wonder if we could see ourselves as having enough if we learned how to steward our enough, if we lived within our enough rather than beyond our enough and got into debt and all sorts of weird stuff. If wonder if we learned to be content in the Lord instead of trying to strive after more that we would after actually discover more. More 
is not greater than enough. Enough is greater, this is the heart. And again, don't write me letters, well, you don't want me to advance, you don't want me to make more money. I would love for all of those things to happen, but I promise you, living from the more place is a place that is chaos, it is slavery, it is a mentality that you can never escape from unless the Spirit of God comes and he delivers your mindset because when you live from enough, you learn that in him is enough, that what he gives you is enough. And if I can be faithful with the enough, may lead toward more. If it doesn't lead toward more, it doesn't matter. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's living from the place of enough. Generous people get this. Because generous people remember things like Matthew 6, 26, that, that God cares for the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. And if he cares for them, how much more will he care for you? Live in enough. James 1, 17, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Every good and perfect gift, that's living from enough. Well, God, how are we gonna do this? What am I gonna do? God says, listen, I will provide and I will give you enough. Matthew chapter seven, verse 11, God loves to give good gifts to his children. He gives enough. What, well, I've had people say, well, if we trust God, and I trust God, and that means God will just give me the job. I'm like, you're right. God will give you the job, but you also have to get out and begin to ask for it and interview. And don't just sit at home saying, God, I'm just gonna sit here waiting for some random company to email me and to give me the six-figure six salary that I asked. And I'm, I'm gonna tell you, that's probably not God. That's, that's like the sub you ate from the night before. Living enough, operating enough, and know that God has given you the enough to go and to find the job, to work, to have the hard work, to then steward that which he gives you and let that be what drives your heart and your mind because that creates the heart of generosity. Number two. We live in a culture that says it's mine versus what's God's. We live in a culture where we are driven with the idea of ownership, saying that when it's mine, then I get to do with it what I want. But, and whatever's God's, I'll let him do with, him, with it whatever he wants. But the problem is, is when we come at it from this aspect, it's mine, we never actually ever see anything as God's. Everything is God's. Can we just get that out there? Everything belongs to God, including you including the place where we're sitting today, including the, the house that you live in or, or wherever you call home, the car that you drive, everything belongs to the Lord. But we get to this place where we want to trust us, what trust what's ours, our mindset, instead of simply trusting God. And we, we tend to not trust God with our stuff when we see it as our stuff. But when we see things from a different perspective and we begin to change the paradigm, We begin to trust God a lot more because we begin to realize that it wasn't ours to begin with, therefore I operate it differently. How many of you know that when you borrow something from your neighbor, you tend to take better care of that than you do your own stuff? Or if you borrowed somebody's car, let's use that one. I was gonna say when you rent a car, because I've heard about people renting cars and what they do with what's not theirs. I bought the insurance, it's okay. When you 
have something that's not yours. You tend to navigate it, not with the wishes of your own desires, but with the wishes of that person which owns the, which owns the deed or the, the papers for that thing. This idea that generous people, they, they don't live in the place of mine. They live in the place where this belongs to God that he is the creator and Lord over everything. Psalms 50 verse 10, that he owns everything. It's, I, used to, I used to grow up hearing uh, that verse. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns the cattle. I, I, I grew up in a trailer park, there were no hills. I'm like, okay, where, is that where the cattle hang out? Is the hills. But the idea was that God owns everything. Psalms 145:16, that he opens up his hands and he satisfies the desires of every living thing. Generous people understand Matthew 25, 21, they, when he says, well done, thou good and faithful. You have been faithful, you've been faithful with your enough because what you were given was mine, therefore step into something more. Step into a deeper place. Acts 11, they heard about the need and they gave generously because they got this. They got his enoughness. And they gave out of their enoughness because they realized that that which was enough for them never belonged to them in the first place. It belonged first and foremost to God. So wonderful. And so this is, this is what I'm not asking you to do. Okay, first, I'm not asking you to be anything that you don't wanna be. I'm not, I won't ask you to do that. I'm challenging you to step into something that A, you're already considering yourself, and B, you're being what God has called you to be, which is generous. I'd love to have a raise of hands. How many people in the house consider themselves generous? I, I think between everybody who is generous and everyone who wants everybody to think that they're generous, everybody would raise their hands, and so we're not gonna do that today. But I'm challenging to be that which God has called you to be, and what we, most of us consider ourselves is generous. Now here's something really cool. It's a little tidbit that you may not catch. Look at the last verse of our, of our section. And they, verse 30, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hands of who? Barnabas and Saul. Y'all need to circle that. Because if you're new to church, that man Saul, that man was actually known at one point, known for hunting down Christians to make sure they were killed. He has a radical encounter with Jesus and his life is transformed, and he is being mentored underneath Barnabas. At some point in the book of Acts, it flip-flops from Barnabas to Saul, because the, per the person who was the mentor was labeled first. All of a sudden, it flips over, and he becomes more the mentor relationship, and then they separate and go and do different ministry. But that's, that's key, that this younger Christian, somebody newer to a faith in Jesus, he gets privy to this generosity and something explodes in his heart and teaches us something so much that we can actually go a little bit further in the Bible in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter eight because the man who wrote this is the same man, Saul, who became Paul. Look what he writes to another church. He says, since you excel in many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love for us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. That word excel in the Greek language means to exceed a fixed number of measure. What do we say the definition of generosity was? The definition was to give more than required. He says, since you are being generous in so many ways, 
I want you to also excel, to be generous in this act of giving. Where did this idea come up? Well, yes, the Holy Spirit inspired him to say this, but think about his experience going all the way back to the book of Acts chapter 11 when he saw a church. They heard about a need that was happening someday for a people that was 300 miles away for which they had never met or maybe never would have met. All that mattered is somebody was in need and they needed to give. And my prayer for K-First is like the early church is that generosity would be inseparable from our identity that we would be a people that would live in our enoughness. What's your enoughness? It's whatever your situation is because God will never ask you to give beyond your enoughness. But the way you figure this out and see this well is to go down to this place where we recognize that that which I live in is all something that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. And then we, out of that, we get to bless. Out of that, we get the bless. In fact, let me say it this way. Generosity makes you both a participant and a recipient of God's grace. And that's the beauty when we give, is we don't just become participants, teammates, so to speak, but we actually begin to receive because we had the scripture, we actually skipped over it last week. The scripture says in the book of Proverbs that he who refreshes others will they themselves become refreshed. You can't help but be refreshed when you give. We don't give to get refreshed. It is the byproduct of being generous that when we show generosity, we help proclaim and give God's grace, but it just comes right back because that's the way God's grace works. I mean, they gave out of a spiritual famine. Excuse me, I should say a famine. And that which we're experiencing right now, we are experiencing spiritual famine in this world, in this culture. You can't look at our culture. You can't walk the, watch the news, get on social media, talk with people without saying that we are living in the midst of famine. We have hate and despair, bitterness and fracture, racial tensions and divides. And we don't have to go 300 miles away to minister to that. It's right here in Portage, Kalamazoo. And what I wanna do is I wanna be the type of church that doesn't just talk about being generous and won't just wait for a need to show our generosity. I wanna be the type of church that our participators right now. I don't want to wait for something to happen. I want to be that person right now. So Gabe, somebody, Gabe, look at that. You already came out. I want to be the type of church that sees our resources. Though they might be enough, they're all limited. Just so you understand, y'all have limited resources. I don't think Bill Gates is attending here. All right. We all have limited resources. But when we walk in generosity toward that which belongs to the Lord, I love that he gives unlimited or eternal results from our limited gifts. Jesus did that throughout the scriptures. The best example is when a boy, a boy had a simple snack pack, five loaves and two fish. He had a simple snack pack. And Jesus used it to not only bless thousands, they had leftovers because he's the God of more than enough. But if we just give him what is our enough, 
and we're willing to give that what we have. I think of the widow that had two Canadian pennies and she put it in there. And the reason why I say two Canadian pennies is because it's us and our two pennies and I've got Canadian blood, so I like picking on them a little bit. So she just gave what little she had and people mocked her. People looked at her and said, she didn't give enough, but that's why we don't live according to people's opinion. We live for the audience of one and we don't have to give out of somebody else's enough or their version enough for our life. I wanna give a word to somebody today. Stop living according to somebody else's version of enough over your life. You don't have to live in that place. Find your enoughness in Jesus and live out of that. Pour out of that. And she gave that and Jesus said, listen, she gave more than everybody else. Yeah, it wasn't flashy. It doesn't need to be flashy because we're not living for everybody else's applause and everybody else's likes. We live according to the one that says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. So when it comes to our offering, when it comes to our kingdom participation, this is where I'm challenging you as the body to shift into gear. So my challenge is simply this, to be a generous participator a generous participator. And it really is gonna be twofold. Number one, I'm gonna challenge you in this, start somewhere. Start being generous somewhere. Some of you are worried, I'm gonna ask you right now today to begin to, to begin to give 10% of your increase, 10% of your paycheck away right now. Some of you have never budgeted for that. And I'm gonna rub a, a few old school, school people wrong right now. So I'm expecting a few notes from this one. But listen, some of you, you can't make that first step. So I'm gonna challenge you to make some step. Make some step, start somewhere. So one of my favorite testimonies from my best friend is when he challenged people in his church, they said, well, you can't give 10%. He says, you know what? Start at a half percent, start at 1%. Sometimes we give so many excuses why we can't do all of this that we've never actually taken obedient steps of faith toward God. Take a step and start somewhere. Find a place to start and trust God with that enough and trust him that he will not just take what you have given, that he's given you, but he's gonna multiply multiply that, but don't ever just stop there. Let God continue to challenge you in that, but start somewhere. Find a place to start and give. As a church, this one has been one of the most challenging years financially for the church itself. Do you know why? One word, COVID. People lost their jobs. People had decrease in pay. We've got people who have been consistent with their tithing, but their tithing has been less than because their sustenance has been less than. And we don't write them notes saying, you gotta live up to this thing. We don't invoice people. I'm just gonna tell you, I'm not that dude. It's been a challenging year and we are doing whatever it takes to not just keep ministry going, but to keep ministry flowing out in the by highways and the byways of life. But what we need you to do, and we wanna challenge you for anybody in the house you have never given before, I'm gonna challenge you, number one, start somewhere. Be a consistent giver. It enables the kingdom of God to not just have an outflow, but also have the storehouse to meet the needs of those famines that come and go throughout this time. Number two, be a consistent, generous person. Don't just give today because you feel like the emotions are there. But don't just give today because you feel pressure from Pastor Day. This is pressure-free generosity here because we live out of this. There's, there's no pressure in this. This is a heart issue because it's the Lord's. But don't just start something, be consistent. 
because it helps us to prepare what for what God is going to do because I don't believe God's done with us yet have you ever met an unsaved person this week anybody have met an unsaved person encounter an unsaved person this week no okay never mind stop giving we're done everybody's saved we're gonna keep going until we see this area experience revival don't just be a giver, be a consistent giver. Be generous with your abilities. Be generous with your time. Be generous with what God has given you. Be generous and God is going to provide. You see, when your generosity doesn't make sense to people, don't allow anyone to talk you out of your desire to give freely. Because every time you give generously, you reflect the true nature of God's heart. The goal here is not to manipulate you or to bend your arm behind your back. The goal here is to get you to a place where God can get a hold of our hearts and we're no longer driven by more. We could be content with what God has done. We don't look at life as if everything that we have is mine. Well, I bought those jet skis. Okay. Don't have to get rid of your jet skis. In fact, do the godly thing and invite me over to ride on them. Let's realize they belong to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. The bread that you eat, it belongs to Jesus. And when we live in this place, this is the place of freedom. And it allows us to walk in generosity. And it's not going to make sense to people. It's not gonna make sense to people. It's not gonna make sense to individuals. I've had people ask me, Pastor Dave, why do you tithe? Because it's, I live from one place where my heart is, is with the Lord and I realize it all belongs to Him. And so if I can live from at max 90%, that means that God, I've given God at least 10% of what I, what I have that belongs to Him and He can use it for whatever He wants. And the other 90%, He gets to use that for whatever He wants as well because it belongs to Him. I just want to be a church that lives in generosity that makes us in a place that no matter what need comes our way, that we are already ready to be generous. Bow your heads. I've yacked long enough. Holy Spirit, I thank you for the day. I thank you for these moments. And God, I ask that you would just right now, that you would just snip away the strings of shame and guilt right now that are trying to pull on people's emotions, our hearts, that maybe is frustrating individuals right now. God, I speak even right now, I speak healing and deliverance over guilt and shame feelings that maybe come from moments of maybe church abuse and manipulation that have happened in, in times past. Lord, I legitimately, Lord, I pray healing over some maybe maybe some PTSD in people's hearts and their own spirits for maybe just being thrown guilt after guilt message, God, that had just beaten them up because they were not enough. God, I pray that right now that we would first and foremost, we just find our enough in you. And Lord, help us to view everything that we have from the perspective that it belongs to you. And we get to steward that. We get to use that. We get to be generous with that. God, we get to bless people with meals out of that. We get to invite people into our homes. 
We get to give of our talents and our abilities in order to help people to taste and see and know that you're good. God, that you get to use our enough, the enoughness that we find. And you get to use it for the kingdom so that people would know how wonderful, how great, and how majestic you are. So Lord, I pray that the spirit of generosity would be more than just something that we know about here at K-First. God, like the running and the writing, I pray it's not something that we know about. I pray that it would just be who we are. It's what we do. And my prayer is that out of this, that Saul's would go out from this church with voices, with modes, with paradigms, with messages that would just simply say, I have seen one body excel in generosity. Let's do the same. That the kingdom of God would be the paradigm that shifts this world toward you, Jesus. That we would help people to see through our generosity, your love and your grace. I speak that in Jesus' name and everyone said, give and give God a huge hand clap of praise in the house.